Okay, so I guess I do this now. I, I say things before the podcast gets started. Um, but so Brandon, Richard, and I, we were, we've been talking about how we're going to close out, how we're going to end out um, this podcast series we've been doing. Um, and one of the things we've, we've talked about is having a live recording um, at the museum here in town, the Museum of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Um, and so we've been able to get permission and we're going to be there September 8th. If you are going to be in town, say you're somebody who's local to the area of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, or just plan on being in this part of the world on September 8th, we invite you to come out and meet us there at the Museums of Hopkinsville, where we are going to be recording live um, and discussing even some more uh, the ideas that we've talked about in this book, the, the concepts, the struggles, the history, all of that. So you're invited to come out and be a part of the, the live studio audience, as it were, on September 8th and more details to come. But thank you guys for your prayers, your support, for everything you've done um, right now, just being along on the journey with us. All right. Thanks. Here's here's today's episode. On that note, we are here. I mean, so you said, <laughs> so we've gone live, committed, now we're here. We're here. All right. Here? Brandon Man, says we're here. Point, we're here. We're here. <laughs> we're here. And you're, you're giving me hand signals. You know they can see you. Oh. Okay. <laughs> on the episode yeah. number. I forget yeah. about the camera. I'm yeah. old. I'm forgetting about the camera. I need to remember the camera. Yeah. I'm just a pastor. So I'm not used to all this we, technology. We, we are now moved on to chapter five and in contemplating it, like I was like, oh, we could do two episodes, three episodes, but we're, I'm going to try and have us just do one. If we end up having yeah. to come back next week and record another one, we will. There you go. Because this one, I think the overarching theme, I mean, it's called Monuments, Cemeteries, Reuni- Reunions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the subtitle, I would say. It's it's the enactment of memory. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you. The enactment of memory. But it's yeah. <laughs> it's mostly about monuments. It's mostly about monuments. I'm just picking yeah. on Kamara. It's okay. I can take it. Um. So, one thing I want to start out so on page 156. He says he's early in the chapter. Social experience changes, and thus memory requires constant tending and validation. Memory is as much process as repository. Um. And I think that's an interesting philosophy to have at the start of the chapter is that he's essentially saying, all right, this is my biased view on this topic mm-hmm. is that it's not about solidifying permanently in stone what happened. Mm-hmm. It is about this ongoing process of remembering and rehearsing and it will be what we rehearse it to be. Right. Um, there is historical fact, but historical memory will be what we rehearse it to be essentially. Um, Cause historical memory is kind of more important to some degree than historical fact. Especially in modern America. Exactly. Yeah. Sad, but true. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some monuments, and local ones especially. Um, But bottom 156, this is going to be partly my view of these monuments, Brandon's view, Richard's view. They're all going to be different. Um, And I think this last section here towards the bottom really says, it says, Southern memory, as previously noted, continues to embody popular representations of an antebellum world of benevolent masters, devoted slaves, and valorous defenders of states' rights. Hmm. The fact that we each group in different locations in America yeah. affect how we even view that statement. Yeah. Um, but it also does color our view of this discussion of states' rights, civil war, all these things. Because where I grew up, history, we never once learned that version of the, of the civil war. That is not how they teach it in California. States' rights were not mentioned. In Southern, no, they say the civil war was about slavery. Really? And somebody says... I thought it was about states' rights. And they say, yeah, states' rights to own slaves. Yeah, exactly. It was about slavery. <laughs> and like, and that yeah. was pretty much, that was the discussion. Was, See, it's about slavery. See, um, but in the South... It was different. So when I grew up, we... we so just to give you the, the idea, I grew up in very rural South. And I, it was very typical to go to 
high school with a lot of pickup trucks in the parking lot that had rebel flags on them. Stickers of rebel flags, actual rebel flags, things that say the South will rise again, things like that. It's not about hate. It's about heritage. Those are things that were normal when I grew up. I mean, we didn't hate each other. It was just... You know, it was just something that we dealt with. But the idea is it was it was taught that, yes, it's about slavery, but it's also almost equally about states' rights. And it was the idea that these northern Yankees are telling the South what to do, and because of the Constitution, they shouldn't be able to tell us to do that. And so that was a popular mindset in the era and the, and the location when I grew up. Idaho. I, I would say Idaho. It was very much more the uh, more like what Richard's saying than what you're saying. Yeah. It was slavery is bad. It was wrong. It was terrible. But at the same time, if you're a fan of limited government, you know, like this was this was a travesty. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was kind of that both and yeah. thing, um, with maybe a little bit more emphasis on it was about slavery, mm-hmm. but it also exposed this other thing that. Yeah. The South was probably right on, and the North was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. States' rights. Yeah. Um, so it's just memory looking back. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's that's kind of how I remember perceiving it. it was about slavery. Yeah. Slavery was terrible, but at the same time, the federal government shouldn't be able to tell us what to do. Yeah. So what's interesting is that's it's it's neat to hear this from different perspectives. Yeah. And different. Like we we didn't talk a lot about slavery. We watched the movie Glory. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in in uh, middle school. And then we talked a lot about Andrew Johnson, Andrew Jackson, because we were from Tennessee, and, of course, about Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. They told us slavery was bad, a lot of people lost their lives, and then we moved on. Yeah. And so we could encapsulate all of the Civil War within, you know, a week's worth of class. See, that's interesting because we didn't spend too much more than that on the Civil War, but we actually would have, I mean, there was an entire year devoted to the history of missions, like the the Spanish missions. Oh. Like— Conquistadors and stuff like, like that. And so because in California, like we talked, I mean, I remember yeah. we, everybody had that. That pro- makes sense. I was like, well, like fourth grade, everybody had the project. You had to make a, yeah. you had to make a, a model of emissions and talk about it. And like we would go visit them. And so in California, something that was very pe- peculiar to our location, we spent extensive time learning the actual history of the place and even the offensive offenses done by it. Um, and so this is again, when people say, I don't understand this, this coastal way of looking at things, education, California really was big on that of we're going to learn about the history of how the mission system came in and, and uprooted Native American life, yeah. how it is this established the society we have now, the good, the bad, and everything in between of it. We'd yeah. go and visit some of these missions and all those other things. And we would talk about slavery, like, but it was, it yeah. was short as well because we dug into what was culturally relevant for where we were from. You know what? We did have a Tennessee history class, but it was more the romanticized view of history. We talked about Davy Crockett. Hmm. You know, we talked about heroes from Tennessee that lasted, you know, had a lasting image that, that really made Tennessee known. We talked about stuff like that. But by and large, we didn't we didn't focus on the negative stuff. Yeah. It was only the good things. I don't know that we focused. I mean people would say we focused. I don't I feel like it was just it was my teachers in ways I felt tried their best to say, here is the entirety of it. Hmm. And we want you to think it through. Um, at least those are the teachers I had. Um, something back to the book, because you mentioned about rebel flags, stuff like that, and bumper stickers. Yeah. On 157, it says, uh, race is always present, although unspoken and frequently coded. Yeah. 
Yes. And so we're going to talk about the Jefferson Davis Memorial that I have very strong negative feelings You're about. You're going straight for the jugular. No, I'm not going straight there just necessarily. I'm going for other jugular too. I'm going to go for both jugulars. So <laughs> before we go for the jugular, can can we talk about this word coded? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I am. So I'm okay. Gonna, yeah. That's where we're going. So, okay, so, so I'm going to eventually talk about this other thing too that I really despise. Um, mm. But this idea of coded, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I did not like, and I'm going to talk freely about it because I no longer work at the high school here in town. But one thing that was that for me was frequently traumatic, I would say, was the frequency of seeing the Confederate flag on people and on stuff. Um, Not just students, but stuff. Yeah, they would have it on, you know, belt buckle, backpack, um, like like stuff, not just not just on people. Like it was Mm -hmm. it was so common. Um, And I would talk about this with people back in California when I'm going like up in New York. And I would talk about other people who are also from a more coastal way of life. And and they would mimic my sentiments of like, man, that's horrible. Um, and so when we talk about this idea of, of, of coded, um, we, we did a little bit about it last yeah. chapter with lynching. Sometimes the problem with, with coded language is that you might be seeing something that's not actually there, mm-hmm. right. or you might be seeing something that nobody else sees. Yeah. Right. And so it, it can be, it can be a, a bit confusing. I will say with me, my issues that I continue to have with that flag is that based off what I know about history, I realized that rever- that never was a battle flag they fought under. Right. That was not what it was at all. That was right. a flag that was used to unify essentially a lot of racist sentiment after mm. the war. Like that is the history of it. Mm. It is not a history of heritage. It is a history of, this is a flag mm. of hate. Um, knowing how Europe has responded to, you know, Nazi regime mm. and, and their, re- their way of dealing with it and outlawing right. things. Like I recently learned it's against the law for anyone who is not a hired actor to prote- portray Hitler at all in Germany. Yeah. You can't even pretend to be him unless you're an actor paid to pretend to be him. Yeah. Like that's wow. where they went with that. And so these things, when I say coded and yeah. like, so that flag is an example of that. These are things that for somebody like me might be, hey, Kamar, you're being too sensitive. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe that is. Yeah. But these symbols and images stir up to me saying that's telling me this is not a safe space for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And I don't like feeling unsafe in my own country. Yeah. You know what, you, you just said a lot that made me think 18 different thoughts at the exact same time. And I don't know if my mind can keep all of those 18 thoughts in my mind, but I wanted to just kind of share a couple yeah. of them with you. The last one was you, when you talked about uh, Nazi Germany, you talked about, you know, we know that there was reparations that the mm-hmm. Germany had to pay to the nation of Israel and uh, for, for, you know, the Holocaust and things like that. A thought that came up to me, I was sharing with my wife the other night. I said, you know what's so different? I mean, there's a big difference between the Holocaust and slavery, but um, but they were both tragic. One, there was a, a reparation process of things happened. But the thing that really got me, there were no Nuremberg trials for slavery. Yeah. And that thought made me pause for a second, which means it was not criminal. Yeah. It was legal. It was a difference of opinions. And then, then the law changed. It did. And we've got to move forward now, but hey, it was legal then. Exactly. It right. was, it, you know, kidnapping, all of those kind of, even, and even, and then I thought about it like this, you know, even after the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. which it was considered illegal at that point, it still happened, but there were no crimes yeah. that were ever adjudicated. There was no Nuremberg trials here. And if something is not criminal, it didn't happen. It's not bad. Yeah. And so anyway, that was a thought. And so I was going to actually ask you what you thought about the rebel flag. And I'm yeah. glad you shared it because mine's a little bit different. When I grew up, it, it represented, there were obviously people that had hate, but I grew up, mm-hmm. like I said, in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. So I loved Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. 
So when I looked at the General Lee, I was like, that, I want it. I want Daisy Duke. I want it. I want to, <laughs> I want to drive the General Lee. That's awesome. But it represented to a large percentage of people. And I would even argue mm-hmm. here, it, it was like the uh, don't tread on me flag. Yeah. Right. It, it was like, mm-hmm. uh, you know what the government can't tell me what to do for many people. It is, you know, a state's rights issue, but it is such a triggering thing because yeah. I understand the history as well. It really wasn't a battle flag at all. It was something that has also been so closely connected with hate groups yeah. that when it flies, I was on the way to Paducah the other day. And when I get off the road, there's this big, massive, you know, you could wrap, you know, five yeah. elephants in this huge Confederate flag. And my thought, it's one of the best analogies yeah. I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> Ra- so I wish man. I wish I could come up with analogies that good. You can use it, man. So yeah, well done. Like, why do they need yeah. that? And, what and, like, that? And what it does to you on the inside, like that, when you're, you're, you're for me, I'm, I'm yeah. and so Jefferson Davis Monument, for yeah. anybody out there who hasn't seen it, Google it, look it up. It's a, it's a giant obelisk, white obelisk. And these symbols, I'm not going to just stick on that mm-hmm. one, but these symbols, I'm driving along, I'm minding my own business, having a happy Kamar moment, as fleeting as those may be. <laughs> Maybe I'm singing some Spanish music or something, and then I see it. And then instantly, again, it makes you feel like I'm not safe in my own country. If I if there was an emergency right now and I had to run to them for help, would I be received? That makes you think twice, right? I mean, and and it's like, and and these are the things when we talk about like the idea of coded monuments, thing like it's. I don't think enough people stop and think about that part of it. I, I'm not saying don't have your rights, don't, but 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 just ask yourself, mm. especially if you claim to be a Christian, mm. ask yourself, do you want to live your life in a way that makes other people feel threatened and unsafe? Just because yeah. you have a flag. Can I ask you a question real quick? Just real quick. When you see that flag, does it make you feel like I'm unwelcome? Yeah, unwelcome and potentially in danger. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I was going a different direction. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So I apologize Go for ahead. derailing the conversation. Steer but, the bus in another direction. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was not a good transition. Um, <laughs> but uh, but this whole idea of coded language, I think, has come up in popular consciousness more and more. And that certain things are, you know, subversive messaging that's kind of hidden in this other thing. And we say, well, this thing's not bad. And so we're going to use this thing. Uh, my name became part of a coded message. Yes. Recently. Yeah, not, not, I guess true. not really recently, which Let's was kind of awkward for me because I had no idea about it. At, at first, were you excited? No. At first, you're like, yeah, people are cheering me on. Yay. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah. And I was like, no, never oh, mind. Just kidding. That's a bad thing. As Christ followers, what do we do? with these kind of coded symbols that can mean one thing to one person, one mm-hmm. thing to another. And it's like, mm-hmm. we have to fight that. Jesus was very clear. Let your mm-hmm. yes be yes and your yeah. no be no. He celebrates integrity mm-hmm. and honesty in our speech and in our communication. And if there are symbols, which we've already heard, you know, Kamar yeah. says the Confederate flag makes mm-hmm. me feel not safe. You say General Lee, you know, like, I, I like, like the car, yeah. you know. And then... As Christ followers, we have to think not just in terms of am I am I is this permissible for me to fly this flag? Yes, but what am I communicating to who? I don't know. Is it wise? Yeah. Well, if, the f- if it's coded, I think as Christ followers, we want to avoid that. Yeah, we want to avoid any sort of cultural shibboleths yeah. to bring in that other you know good word yeah. you know that that draw lines that we may not be intending to draw. Shibboleth. Well, I was going to say, too. Isn't that fantastic? The, the flip like side on one. that one, and this is something that I would encourage people who feel like me to, if you claim to be a Christian, Scripture does give us clear mandate on what to do with this. On the one hand, you could say, if they're a Christian, they shouldn't have these symbols. Mm. This hurts me. 
But on the other hand, as a Christian, I'm also instructed to say, though they have this symbol that hurts me, I need to recognize that they probably don't realize what they're doing. Mm. And my role as a Christian, I might be to bring it up a little bit, yes, but at the same time to love them, to make space for them to still be a part of the community. For me not to sit there and say, well, because you're an evil, bigoted racist, I want nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. But instead to say, you know what, I'm going to love you and forgive you and continue to love on you and try and see past that and show you the love of Christ. First Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. Right, and that's uh, so often our, our approach is I see this, this is wrong, and I want to fix you. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times Jesus just calls us to fix us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's hard for us to sometimes yeah. <laughs> grasp that, wrap our heads around that. But as far as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. Mm-hmm. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. I think as Christ followers, it is incumbent, it is demanded of us yeah. that we avoid coded language mm-hmm. as much as we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we could just lean into it and be extra extra with it. So I, when I was still over the Black Student Union, did I tell you guys my t-shirt idea that I was going to have last year? I didn't. My wife advised against it. Okay. But for our Black Student Union t-shirt, what I was going to have was I was going to have a black power fist there you go. holding a burning Confederate flag. I was like, that could be our symbol. No. And my wife's like, you can't do that, Kamar. I'm like, no. why not? It sounds no. awesome. No. <laughs> what was our word from the other day? Incendiary? Yes. Incendiary. That one is literally it. incendiary. I did do it. I will say the students were in favor. They're like, that sounds awesome, Mr. Roche. Yeah. I'm like, we're not doing it, kids. Said all the black students. Yes. And I said, we're not doing it, kids. I'm just sharing yeah. with you my idea. <laughs> yeah. Here's an idea for you to go do at home, but don't say I did it. Again... <laughs> As Christ followers, I think we ought to avoid coded but, language. But then we had yes. a conversation about that, and I, and I brought them into understanding, because a lot of them mimicked what I said about the Confederate flag. Yeah. And then I brought them into understanding how other people feel when they see Black Power Fist, for example, mm-hmm. right. and saying, do you, some people view that the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having that conversation and getting them to say, okay, um, now how do I feel about that? Is that just their problem, or is that my problem? How should I respond if somebody says they're offended by that? And just get them to, yeah. to, to be more open and to say, you know what? I can be offended by something I see, Mm-hmm. Without treating the other person in an offensive way, Ooh, but, yeah, good. it's like do you do you do something that you know is going to cause your brother to stumble? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's like if I know when you see the rebel flag, mm-hmm. it's a triggering thought process that begins to happen. As someone who loves Christ and sees you on a regular basis, is that the choice in my closet that I pick out when I know you're going yeah. to be there? Yeah, you know, I have to think twice about that. If I love you, if I know you, and I'm going to spend time with you. Um, and then there's that coded language that I always thought about the word dog whistle. There's yeah. these dog whistles as well, which yeah. are a little bit more coded. These are things that are meant to say something without everybody in the room knowing what it means. And that Only happens. those who are in get this. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that's done politically probably a lot more than it may be socially. I don't know because it's a dog whistle. So I don't know if I hear it. Yeah. And what's it? But You're not tuned to that frequency. I so guarantee you, I don't hear it. Yeah. We know that, Brandon. <laughs> we know. That. <laughs> that's so mean. <laughs> he said it first. I ignorance be- is I, bliss. I believe you're not ignorant. No. <laughs> <laughs> page page 161 yeah. you were talking about you guys are talking about this idea of you know viewing it as states rights one of the reasons why it is that that i still i push against that narrative mm-hmm. is because of where that story first came from um and so he talks about um, um 161 you know middle of the page there rationalizing southern resistance as a just response to an overreaching federal government Breckenridge dismissed slavery as simply a fact of life. Mm. And so you had 
essentially the losers of the war mm-hmm. who were saying, man, we need to get a new HR or, or PR director. We got to spin this <laughs> a different kind of way because we, we, need to, we need to not be the losers. Right. Well, how can we spin this mm. to change the narrative so that people view it differently? Um, and so and it goes on to talk about how, you know, these people who helped to craft this story, they were driven by, you know, casting black people as inferiors, a passion for race purity. Right. Uh, quote, the liberation of the slave did not change his race nor obliterate from the white race intense race feeling. This this idea that, you know what, we've 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 got to do something to make sure this goes in the right direction mm. um, as we talk about the history of it. Um, and at the end of that paragraph there, um, he believed that the educational power of American slavery redeemed African people, savages without traditions and without hopes. Mm-hmm. This is co- showing up again. Yeah. We now have... States with new curriculum right. that have essentially finally, what, he's, what he started about, yeah. you know, more than 100 years ago saying, this is how we should teach this. Yeah. We now have it been, it's been codified in at least one state now saying, Florida. we will, we will, I wasn't trying to say the name. Thank you. I Bridget. said Florida. Florida. <laughs> but we now have that of saying, this is our official stance. He said the quiet part out loud. And, and I'm incendiary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not from but, Florida. But he... Essentially, what he wanted, the original intent of we're going to teach, you know, this whole idea of the lost cause narrative. And our goal is to make them teach that slavery was actually good for black folks. And now we have yeah. that in the curriculum. So we're seeing that. Well, I read all the different, you know, um, I guess um, parts of that curriculum. And there are one or two that would be in the cinderary. And that one that you're referring to basically says that out of slavery, the former slave gained, or the slave gained useful skills that could be used. Mm-hmm. And so that that was incendiary because maybe they did earn a skill, but if someone is a slave, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in, yeah. um, in the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, the money that was earned through these skills yeah. belonged to the slave master. So these skills were used for the benefit of the slave master, not the benefit of the slave. Yeah. Well, it's not just, it's, it's also this, this wrong view of culture to begin with. And we see this not just with, with Africans or, or black people who are enslaved of this view that says your culture, where you're at, you don't have real culture. You don't have real skills. Mm. We're going to come along as the enlightened, intelligent Americans, mm. Westerners, whatever have you. Mm. And we're going to show you what real culture is. Mm. And, and that's really part of the, I mean, he says savages without traditions and without hopes. They had traditions. That's they true. had that's, hopes. That's what I was sitting here yeah. thinking. So I'm reading uh, E. Stanley Jones was a missionary um, from the UK. And, you know, he was very concerned with the India problem, right? And so we, we mm. think we, as Americans, we often still partake of that American exceptionalism, like, even if we're wrong, we're going to be the most wrong and the best wrong, you know, like, uh, we're going to be the wrongest. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, hold on. There's others who have tried this too. Um, but E. Stanley Jones talks about how the gospel in India was hampered Mm -hmm. because it was tied to the East India company and tied Mm -hmm. to the British empire. And so once the colonizers, yeah, it was, it was the religion of the colonizer. And Mm so once the, once they were able to break the gospel out mm-hmm. from Britain, essentially, mm-hmm. they saw the gospel going with incredible speed and incredible mm-hmm. rapidity, being being taken in, being uh, mm-hmm. indigenized. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's an actual word. But it is now. Yeah, mm-hmm. wh- whichever, but it's probably not the best word for it, but... Mm-hmm. 
where the the Indian people began to say, this is our Jesus. He's not your Jesus. He's our Jesus. And I think that what we make the mistake sometimes of doing is assuming culturally that one of two problems. One, my culture is better than your culture. Or two, I should never speak into your culture. Yes. As Christ followers, we're we're compelled to not say either of those things. Mm -hmm. We are compelled to say, my culture is under the condemnation of Christ, no different Mm -hmm. than yours. Yeah. And... Your culture, when it comes in contact with Christ, needs to change, but not into my culture. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's beautiful because I think that's been the fault of the biggest fault of Mm. of colonization is that there's that assumption that we know better and we do it better, be like us. And and the the fallout of that is still experienced today. Yeah. I mean, there's people in our communities, I don't want that white Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there's this perception that because it has been po- the gospel and even Jesus has been popularized around the world by a lot of colonization, then that must be their Jesus. Yeah. And if their Jesus is represented by colonizers, then they agree with violence yeah. and they agree yeah. with, you know, destroying my ethnicity and all of that. And so I 100% agree with you. Have you read Stanley Jones's Christ of the Indian Road? I have not. Okay. Because uh, that's one of the things that he yeah. pulls out is okay. the association of the gospel of peace with violence, yeah, and how detrimental that is mm. to the gospel going into yeah. a new culture. Exactly. If it's if it's coming on the back of the sword, it's contrary yeah. to the gospel. It it's is directly. Yeah. And so, any it's I, I commend the book to you guys okay. both. Um, nice. But it, it makes me think of this very topic. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and and well, and so again with the idea of monuments tying it to that, Good. these monuments were were built. Um, to maintain and perpetuate a memory, mm-hmm. but the the heart behind it right. really twisted a lot of things. And so now you have this heart that says, we're going to build these monuments because we want to celebrate how great the antebellum South was. Mm. We're going to completely forget all the harm that was done. We're going to look the other way about anything that was done that was negative or bad. In fact, we're going to call the bad good because we're going to say it, 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 it fixed you. <laughs> but look who, who, who erected these monuments. They're the daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah. You know, these were obviously allies to the Confederacy who yeah. did this. You know, I mean, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but are you, I'll just ask you, I already know the answer, but I want I want it to be on record. It needs to be on record. It does. All right. Are you for or against the obelisk? I, I am not a fan of the obelisk. And why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, anybody who has who is not familiar with this, Jefferson Davis uh, Monument, I, I have two main objections against it. Um, and the first one is not about who Jefferson Davis is in the least. Um, the first one is as an American who's been to Washington DC a number of times and seen the Washington monument, Mm -hmm. the idea of somebody erecting a fake knockoff of it Mm -hmm. is like, what, what's wrong with you people? Mm -hmm. Like we got that. It's in DC. It's much bigger and much better. This is not that. So that's, first of all, it's like, this offends me as an American Mm -hmm. that we have one of these. If you want to see it, go to our Capitol. Um, and then second, it offends me doubly that you would make this cheap knockoff of a man who literally tried his best to destroy this country. Mm. Like you can say it's states rights all you want to. They were trying to destroy America. Mm. They said that we do not agree with the United States of America existing anymore. Mm-hmm. We refuse it. And so we, this is a giant monument built for a guy who led an attempt to destroy our country. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the most proudest American. I'm not. I mean, but I'm American. My parents are veterans, and they taught me that means something. Mm-hmm. And so to erect this big old thing for somebody like that, yeah. and, and then on top of that, to mimic and mock yeah. our first president on top yeah. of all that, 
Um, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not cool with that. Like, Brandon, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. Mm, no. Brandon, are you? <laughs> that may be a saying, but it's not true. <laughs> are you for or against the monument? I am not for or against it, but I am in favor of reinterpreting. So I'm not. I'm not saying tear it down. You know, it's offense to me. I am saying though, use this as a teaching moment. And so you last episode, you asked me about, you know, what do I do at my house yeah. to, to help my kids, yeah. you know, think more broadly, different things. Uh, we go to the Jefferson Davis Monument semi-regularly, mm-hmm. you know, once every three months or so, we find ourselves out there and um, and we talk about it. But we live out there. I mean, we yeah. live okay. near Fairview. And so we're co- continually there. We're within sight of it often. And, and it was so good. One of my kids the other day said... Uh, now, now, who was that about again? And I said, you know, Jefferson Davis. And they said, oh, yeah, he was the guy who thought it was okay for white people to own black people. Mm. And so I was like, okay, well, it's yeah. it's producing yeah. a conversation that I think needs to happen. And yeah. so I'm not a big fan of erasing history. I mm-hmm. am a big fan of using that history to talk about Here's what the thinking was. Mm-hmm. Here's what we've learned. And even more importantly for us as pastors, here's how the gospel informs mm. the way we think about that. We could build something like the 9-11 memorial. Have you been there? I have not. It's, it's great. Cool. 9-11, we could, we could, we could, what we do is we remove it and we have a giant hole in the ground. And now we have a memorial where we talk about what used to be here and why it's no longer here. Mm. Now That's one approach. <laughs> that is an approach. So for me, I'm not against it, but I do have problems with it. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem, like I, I'm okay with the Daughters of Confederacy raising money to erect an obelisk that was on private land that they wanted to do that. I think one of my biggest issues that now it's on state land. There's tax dollars to mm-hmm. go to this. And I've kind of got a grudge against, I think, at least in our neck of the woods, we we mm-hmm. see more Confederate heroes um, celebrated than we do Union heroes. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this before. I've gone into the historical society, and you walk in the historical society, and you see Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee everywhere. And then, of course, we have the, the obelisk. Um, but I think we don't have enough uh, monuments and history, historical markers for things that took place here that were not Confederate. I don't yeah. think we have enough markers for uh, how significant the slave trade was. Mm-hmm. Um, and slavery was in our community. I don't think we have enough uh, historical markers for people and things in our community. So I would be an advocate for using state dollars for some of those other things instead of the things that lost in the war. Well, I mean, it's so coming to the end of this, even this section in the, in the book on 163, um, he says, you know, the cost of national reunification was the sacrifice over a century of the civil rights of the freedmen. It's like, okay, so this, we reunified, we ignore their rights, and this and that, we're going to, but building the monuments really solidifies this last part. It says, if the North won the war, the South effectively won the early post-war struggle over mm-hmm. interpretation, providing a victory that would last a century. Exactly. And, and so to me, when I look at these monuments, I get what people say about erasing history, erasing, here's the thing, these monuments were largely con- constructed to falsely record history. Yeah. So it's not so much erasing history to me, mm-hmm. so much as saying, that's not recording history. That's recording a false narrative used to essentially rebuild society in the image that they see fit. But it's not even real history. It's it's a it's a false narrative that yeah. was constructed with a propaganda in mind of 
we're going to rewrite the story. We're not going to make it about what it was. We're going to make it about something else. It's going we're going to use wind. these monuments to solidify us mm-hmm. rewriting history. Yeah. Um, it's and going so, with the wind. Yeah, more, you'd say you like that movie. I, don't I love it. That it's a historical marker. I'll tell you, I, I was listening to a, an audio of James Baldwin and Ozzie mm-hmm. Davis and some other guy were talking about a book. And Ozzie Davis like just lambasted that movie. He's like like talking about how horrible it is. Yeah, and I was thinking of you when I was listening to him. I'm like like Ozzie Davis it. doesn't like it. It, it. Love it, but it is horrible because it's a <laughs> false representation. But it's what the South. If Miss Ellen was alive, that's what she would think the South was. And so I love to yeah. see that in cinema because it that's how they felt. Yeah, that's what they thought they were losing. And to me, monuments, the monuments that exist largely, that's what they're about, is about perpetuating that myth. Mm. Um, Which is why, in my mind, they're so important for us to be able to say, this is what they were trying to say, mm. but this is how we need to think about that today. We can't yeah. judge mm. past by current ideals. Yeah. Now, right? a giant I, hole with a picture. What, what used to I be? agree with both of you. <laughs> I think in Kamar's point, though, is, is if, if there's no alternative to the storytelling... Then that's the only story that's told. I do. I do agree. The alternative needs to be out there. And so, to your point, to Kamar's point, I agree. We need more of that. So, for example, you walk into the museum, you see Lee everywhere. Uh, Let's take up a collection right now. Let's (laughs) buy a nice portrait of Grant and donate it. Because that was their that was their response, right? Was well, these were donated. We didn't buy them. Okay, well, yeah. well, here we're going to come along. We're going to donate, and then if you see a response, it's like, well, we're not going to put that one up. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's the problem then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you've got a great framed picture <laughs> of U.S. Grant, you need to donate it to the Downtown Historical Society, and they should put it up on the wall. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Shifting gears, because <laughs> I want to get touch a little bit on cemeteries. Yes, I think mm-hmm. that's good. Because um, they talk about that and this idea of, of the reburying of bodies and this re-traumatizing individuals. Um, so here in town, we have the Confederate uh, Memorial that I took you to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, mm-hmm. So the, the, Another point of ignorance for Brandon that Kamar yeah. has been addressing. To go to the Latham yeah, Memorial? Yeah, yep, the graveyard. Mm. And so I had found it and so I I don't forget where we were driving together. I'm like, hey, let's go see it's it. It's right there, yeah. Yeah, so we went and we saw it. And and so this exists, again, people who, if you're not familiar with it here in Hopkinsville, right there in the middle of the cemetery mm. is fake Confederate graves. Um, fake. Yeah, because they, they redid it all. Oh, because they removed no, them. Yeah, there's nobody buried there. They, they removed it all. Oh. Um, and you have these headstones, you know, to, to mark yeah. them. Um, but an interesting fact that comes out that he talks about in here is how mm-hmm. the original graveyard had Confederate and Union soldiers. Right. But when they recreated the monument, Confederate only. Right. Um, and so it becomes a Confederate thing as opposed mm. to a Civil War thing, which mm. originally you could say, this is good. It's both sides. This is just people who died here. But it's not. But now it's not. It's literally just choosing one side. Mm. Um, but something gets into as well this idea of, of when you look at some of these, these, these grave markers, you have this idea of the gravestone for the faithful black slave who died with their master. Mm. Um, died by his side. And, and so I, I just stand a bit here but towards the end of it. He says, the loyal slave as an emblem of the institution of slavery or worse, as a rationale for its continuation on the grounds the loyal slave wanted enslavement is pure fiction. Likewise, claims of large numbers of slaves serving as soldiers in the Confederate Army are little more than desperate efforts to perpetuate an invented antebellum polity of racial harmony in which black slaves shared with whites an equal stake in its survival. Hmm. So again, every so often he pulls back the veil and we can see his bias. <laughs> and, and he's just bearing it all out. He's like, listen, this is a bold-faced lie and it's stupid. 
Like, <laughs> like that's what he, that's what he's saying. And excellent paragraph. I mean, and I think that he has some some point because there are these these ideas that get perpetuated, and that one in particular brings us back. We talked on a little bit back to Jefferson Davis because he has an accountant here when he himself went to one of those reenactments at the Jefferson Davis Memorial. Oh yeah, and and he encounters a black man in gray. In uniform, mm-hmm. representing this very same character um, of the the loyal black slave who's fighting on the side of the Who Confederacy. Who was that guy? I mean, he was kind enough not to write his name in here. You I would have his name. Pay me money to play that part. I mean, you could. You, well, I don't know. Well, how much money? Yeah, how much true. money? Maybe. Well, <laughs> everything's for sale. Like, like, listen, my, my my wife likes for me to have money for bills, so I might. <laughs> you would play the part because of the white lady in my life. I might play the part. How much would five hundred dollars? Would you do it? No, not five hundred. Uh, she would. She'd, she'd expect me to make more than that. Okay, but I mean, tell you five thousand. If you'll pay off all my student loan debt, oh, I will do it every year. You're a doctor. <laughs> I ain't got that kind of money. <laughs> but he, so he confronted that guy, right? He's doing a war, civil war reenactment. Guys in uniform. He says, when I asked, this is on page 172. I'm skipping a little bit. When I asked why he would associate himself with a symbol representing the enslavement of black people, he responded, quote, you've been talking to a Yankee, <laughs> end quote. He relished his role as the loyal slave, a central part of the mythos of the lost cause and his vision of an antebellum ideal of contented servitude. Wow. So... Again, you have this, and, and so I've sometimes people ask me these questions. I'm going to present this to you, Richard, because I want to hear if you've ever been asked. Is it this because question. I'm black? Yes, it's because you're black, very much so. Okay. I'm, I'm challenge I'm, accepted. I'm being prejudiced right now because you're a black man. Um, you ever have that moment come where somebody brings up somebody like this in society, mm-hmm. and they say, "Well, I see so and so. He's dressed in Confederate uniform. Mm-hmm. He says it was bad. Yeah. It can't have been bad, right?" Yeah. Explain yourself, black man. Yeah. How dare you say it was bad when this other black man says it was perfect? Mm-hmm. So your question is... Yeah. Have, has that happened to you where somebody's expected you to... Yeah, 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 yeah. Try to legitimize somebody's stuff because they know one guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a lot of ignorance there. Um, and to me, if you know it's a divisive issue, and usually if you're saying that, you know it's a divisive issue, and you're trying to justify your own thoughts, I look at that as ignorance. If you So I try not to engage in a conversation like that mm. because me trying to undo the one example that they're holding on to is probably not going to change their mind. Mm. I just tell them I disagree. I think you need more friends. All right. Yeah. Let's go to lunch. I will say, too, in defense of Brandon, <laughs> Brandon's never done that. <laughs> He's, he, you've never done that, Brandon. So Give me time. <laughs> <laughs> I will disappoint you. Give me time. Well, you've disappointed me plenty, but just not oh, okay. that way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know we've at least crossed that <laughs> but, border. But I mean, but I, I mean, I, I, I imagine. I mean, I made it about racist mm-hmm. particular example, but I'm sure you've had times like that. I mean, we can, for example, we've done that to you. Hey, Brandon, you're from Idaho. Yeah, right. You Explain now speak this. for all of Idaho. You know, tell us so why white see, people like potatoes. <laughs> Man, everybody likes potatoes. I know they do. But you've been on receiving end of that. Like, <laughs> I'm no, no, I, I totally get it. But I think that what is the motive in, in the person that says, I have this black friend, Yeah. right? Um, what, is, what is the heart behind that? What is my heart when I am trying to convince somebody of a perspective that I hold, say, on a point of doctrine? Yeah. And I quote this guy who I know this other person would respect mm-hmm. on other categories. Well, this person agrees with me. What I'm doing there is I am essentially trying to manipulate mm. the conversation mm. by an appeal to some sort of authority that we can both recognize that is outside of Christ, Yeah. right? Mm. And so I think any time my goal is to win, mm. 
I'm probably missing it. Yeah. Anytime my goal is to bring Christ, I'm probably hitting it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just have to be mindful of that in my own life. Yeah. Am I trying to win an argument? Am I trying to defend my perspective? Great. Or am I trying to glorify and promote Christ in this moment with this mm. person? And that, to me, is the differentiator. So I don't want to leverage, you know, hitman verses. Yeah. I don't want to leverage my black friend. Mm. I want Jesus to be really, really, really important to point. you like he is to me. Yeah. And that just changes the dynamic of the conversation, I feel like. And and I'm struggling. This is this is these are recent thoughts. This is me just kind of starting to wrestle with this idea that Jesus is the gospel. Yeah. And figuring out, oh, the goal is not Brandon winning an argument. Yeah. Right. The goal is Jesus being glorified. That's yeah. great changes things and so it, with that in mind like and I, I gotta make sure i say this in a way so i don't literally do what you just said don't do <laughs> <laughs> i can't live up to that standard don't you worry like, about living up but, to it. but like about monuments i mean that's one of the things that i see is one of the issues with the monuments especially in themselves you have people who claim christ as lord and savior early they did i mean by yeah, and large absolutely These are the daughters of the confederacy they generally claim to be christians many of whom we will share eternity with yeah yeah. And and they and they would build up these monuments and the purpose behind them was 100% to win an argument. Was 100% yeah. to try and and drive yeah. home a point and to manipulate the mm. idea of history as opposed to glorifying Christ, elevating mm-hmm. Christ or even elevating other people to the full right. status of, of human beings. Like their their intention behind it. And so I, I come back to it because mm. again, I know this is a, a touchstone thing and it's kind of died down a little bit in, in society, right. but it's not because the sentiments have gone away. There are people who are dead set. We just found other stuff to argue about. Yeah, but people were dead yeah. set. Monuments should stand because they're monuments. And people dead set destroy them all because of what they and <laughs> right. and somewhere in the middle is is the, what we should be doing, sure. But right. there is some some point to that of okay, what do you say to that? Like, well, okay, Brandon. These people built the monuments just to win an argument. Mm. There's no Christ in it at all. Should it still stand if you have Christians building monuments that has no Christ in it? Yeah, and I think it stands as a monument to what we should not be doing yeah. and to w- the way we should not be conducting this conversation yeah. as a hold on a second. Now that we're kind of stepping back, it kind of looks bad. Yeah. It kind of looks bad that we fought a war because we thought we should be able to own black people. I tell you what, we were fighting for, sla- for state rights, and we're going we're gonna to change the narrative. It's like, well, you're still just protecting yourself. Yeah, yeah. And and I think uh, you want to soften the blow, if you will. And I think Christianity is all about saying, no, we deserve the blow. Yeah. Mm. And Jesus took it for us. Yeah. And so I don't have to pretend to be more righteous mm-hmm. than right. I actually was. That's right. I can be honest and say I'm kind of a miserable sinner, guys. Yeah. Um, and that is not achieved, I think, by getting rid of the monument. It's, it's achieved yeah. by saying the monument is there. Here's what it stood for. Here was the intent. And the problem is it's complex. Yeah. Mm. That response is so much easier to just get rid of it. It's so much easier to not deal mm. with it. It's so much easier to leave it up and just say, you know what, that's for those people over there. Let them have yeah. it. That's not what I, I think is the goal. I think the goal is the complex, the conversation that says, not only here is this monument, here's what they say it stands for. Here's looking at the narrative. This is what I think it actually stood for. But again, what can we learn from it? I, I don't yeah. think it's that complex. I think it's not complex only... Having been to, to Auschwitz, I know you've been as well. Have yes. you been that way? I have not. If you ever go, you're going to wish you didn't go afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's a great sales place. pitch. It's the truth. You got to go see it, though. But, if but, you're there. but Auschwitz, yeah. I think, is an example of that. Of yeah. We didn't tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's complex because there's a really good model already in existence in the Western world of what yeah. to do with it. You keep, the, you keep this horrible thing yeah. and you use it to fuel education. Mm-hmm. And there you but. go. But. 
there's a big difference between Auschwitz. There's a big difference between the Holocaust and slavery, and it's the way that it was interpreted. Yeah. It's the way that it was viewed. As Again, to your point about trials. Exactly. You know, that yeah. we talked about before. That was viewed as being criminal. Yeah. Yeah. Slavery in the South was not viewed as being criminal. And it still it, isn't by it a lot was of the, it was the It was more than just not being viewed as criminal. It was viewed as morally upright, as yeah, a exactly. societal good. Yeah. Well, so was the Holocaust. Yeah, it's, 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 I think it's yeah. more by than Germany. Point. It's true. It's, it's less that it was. So during the Holocaust, Germans were following the law and they were doing what was morally right. End of the war, the whole world said, y'all were messed up. Right. And Germany said, you're right. My bad. We're sorry. <laughs> Civil and the war. rest of the world says you're going to be accountable yes. for that. But here in America, you had the South, America in general, not just the South, let's be honest. All of America was saying, slavery, good, lots of money. Yeah. And, and then you had the Civil War. And at the end of the Civil War, the North said to the South, hey, slavery, bad. And the South said, you're wrong. Mm. And then the North said, okay, cool, just keeping us money. Yeah. And, and, and now we're here, so we still have yet to get to the point where everybody can unanimously agree, yeah, slavery bad. Right. Like, people will sit there and say, oh, yeah, slavery was bad, but it's like, uh, that but criminal. means you don't really believe it yet. It's kind of like as parents. When we deal with our kids, we say, hey, son, you messed up. When the son says, yeah, but, no, no, we're not moving on until we get, you, didn't, you don't understand. And you know what? The, all of that is part of the fact that we're in an imperfect world. You said something a minute ago, Brandon, that really just kind of had this, I've heard it recently, but it just the thought of it is amazing at how the grace of God works. Imagine this. There are people who were slaves that died. And the moment that they enter into glory, they are rooted on by people that used to hate them. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Because there's also racist people in heaven. Right. And so the hated is now congratulated by the hater as they enter into glory. By the grace of God. Yeah. That's redemption. Yes. That, that is the, <laughs> yeah. that is the, the, the name of, that is complete redemption. Especially because there's not a, a riot in heaven of the slaves like, no, you don't get to thank me. <laughs> like, like, like there's, not, there's not that going on of some, we're going to get even. It's like it's, they said, they hug him and say, hey, you're forgiven. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, there is that reconciliation that, that. That, that, that takes place. Imagine that. To yeah. be fully known as we fully know. To be fully forgiven as we fully forgive yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. That's the goal. Yeah. 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 What if we could see that now? I think, I think we're meant to. Mm, I think yeah. the church is meant to be lead. That's why we're having this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, these are uncomfortable topics. We've, we've mentioned this a hundred times before. These are uncomfortable topics, but why are we having this conversation? Because we want that. Yes. Now. And we're yeah. so far from it. And we're not going to be perfect in getting there. And this conversation is not going to be perfect in no, achieving it. No. But that's what we want, because that is what glorifies Christ. That is what benefits his image bearers. Let's go. Amen. We'll figure it out together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, be, to close this out, because I think we, we, we didn't talk a lot about monuments, but we did. We talked enough about them, I think, yeah. largely. Um, we need more, and the ones we have, we don't like. Basically, is what you're saying. I don't know. That's that's more taxes. We got more monuments. Yeah, let's not build anything else. <laughs> I like this not taxing the things. Libertarian. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I do think that. But it's, here's the, here. Can I say something real quick? There's a reason I don't mind people raising their own money to build a monument. The fact was, is that when slavery was over, black people didn't have a lot of money to raise up monuments. Right. The daughters of the Confederacy use that good old Southern Confederate money mm-hmm. to raise up these things, and so there they stand today. Ooh, you just gave me an idea for how we can fund reparations. What's that? 
we start charging admittance to these Civil War monuments built by the Dodgers Confederacy and give all the money to black people. Hmm. I have to think about that. Yeah, Food for thought. It. Yeah, it just, just came to me because, I mean, that's something. So you, are, so you admitted, so you are pro-reparations. Oh, yeah, I'm a black man. <laughs> if they're giving out money, I want some. <laughs> I mean, what? And then our, our friend, our friend, Ryan we have Mitchell, a native Native American. We, we talk about yeah, it, yeah, and, yeah. and his joke. He says, "Hey, if they hand out reparations, I'm front line because exactly. uh, Native, native Americans, Americans. We were here yeah. first. First come, first serve." <laughs> Which, by the way, he showed me his his official uh, Native his American card, card today. His card. Yeah, but nice. but I mean, like, yeah, I I am for it now. A whole nother topic would have to be discussing what are, what are reparations? What does it look like? Right. What does it mean? But I will say, I, I said tongue-in-cheek, I'm a black man, but really I'm for reparations because I'm a Christian. Mm. Because reparations is a biblical concept. Yeah. I don't think people know that. Why don't you dive into that for real? All right. So, and I guess, and then we'll close out on that, of this controversy of reparations. Yes. The Old How do Testament, we get from monuments to reparations? I'm, never mind. Don't answer. Random thought. Just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> but, keep going. Brandon, it's a slow, but, seamless transition. But, so, Old Testament establishes, okay, and this is this is a this is a God idea mm. that, and, and one of the basic examples that you hear is that people talk about you know eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That is literally in the heart of reparations text. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, essentially, talking about you know more or less an unintentional abortion is what that really is. Mm. People get in a fight, they accidentally hurt a woman who's pregnant, and whatever happens to the baby. Reparations must be made, mm-hmm. eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Payback. And the idea that God establishes says, okay, if you do something bad to someone, mm-hmm. you need to make up for it. Make it right. And the reparations you do need to reflect the level of harm done. Mm-hmm. And so money should be involved when you can have a money value mm-hmm. on it. Life should be involved when there's a life value on it. These are all the things established to mm-hmm. it. There's biblical precedence. And so I'm for mm-hmm. reparations because I'm a Christian. Okay. And I believe that we should do the things that God mandates. That does not mean that I say that means white people need to be enslaved for a couple hundred years. No, mm-hmm. I don't mean that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that every white person needs to pay money. I don't. Yeah. I think that... I think that a real true American response to this is we have committees for everything in this country. And in the Baptist church. And we have still... Sorry, my bad. I love you guys. We have, we have committees for everything in this country. We have a committee on committees, man. <laughs> but, I tell you what, we've got committees for everything. I agree with your statement. But, but our, our government has still refused to even form a committee to look to into it. reparations. Not to give reparations... But just to form a committee, we'll form a committee on what to do about lawn chairs. Why? But we won't have a committee on should we or should we not do reparations? Why do you think we don't even have a committee? Do you think because it's too hard? I I think it goes back to the idea of the systems that exist, the the idea of of inherent racist beliefs are still there, some prejudices that are there, some sentiments and feelings, people who disagree on should we even still deal with this? Is it still a problem? There's a lot of disagreement about it. And I say, then fine, form the committee and investigate like Mm. you always do, Congress. Form the committee and investigate and see, is there a thing? Is there ground for rep? Is it too late? Is, have too many generations passed and we can't do this? Form a committee. Like, form a committee. Mm. Let's just investigate and find out. Mm. Like, I mean, if the committee comes back and says, we've investigated and we've determined that to do reparations now would cost us 500 quadrillion, billion, quadrillion dollars, it is not feasible, then I say, all right, committee, I might disagree what your findings are, but at least we have a report that we can look at. But we don't, we don't even have that. And so I don't, I'm not saying I believe in reparations to say what it is. Mm. I'm saying it is a biblical concept. It does exist. And I think that our government should explore that and say, what would this look like in our country? Could we even do it? So here's another hard question. Should believers, followers of Christ, should we be for reparations? Again, I say biblically, yes, because this is a part of God's structure of what government should look like, mm. is that 
when people have done wrong, there should be reparations. When governments have done wrong, governments should make reparations. No. This is this is the way he constructed society. There's huge swaths of Christianity that would disagree with that. I know. Now, we might be leaning towards our political druthers mm-hmm. in making those determinations for or against. But I think what you're saying, just simply go back to the text. Yeah. Simply go back to the Bible. What does it say? One of the last things I was just going to say is you reminded me of when Nathan was talking to David. Mm-hmm. When Bathsheba was committed adultery, rip, he basically gave him an analogy that was all about reparation. Yeah. Something was stolen. Something was killed. Something needs to be repaid. And, and David said, reparations now. Reparations then, reparations forever. <laughs> that's it. I had a feeling you were going to go there. And, but, then Na- and then Nathan said, you are the man. Exactly. You are the yeah. man. And, and, and I think that's what this discussion is doing. Like when we talk and, and bringing like, man, I think what you're having is you're having those, not that you are the man moment, but that essentially that we are the man, America. And you're saying, mm. wow, I've, mm. I've heard these things, but now I'm saying, okay, Kamar, this is not cool how people have been treated. I never saw this before. What am I going to do with this? Not, well... Not my problem. I've never been raised. You're saying, you know what? All right. We need to, I need to think through what this looks like for me and my family because and we, I, think the, I am the man. I think the bigger question for us as Christ followers, um, unless you're sitting in Congress, unless you are pulling the levers of power in this country, is yeah. not what should our country do? And you can debate that mm-hmm. all day long. But the problem is we substitute debate for action right. way mm-hmm. too often, and we can defer responsibility to the mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. Or I can say, in my life... Mm-hmm recognizing this societal evil, recognizing this mm-hmm. wrong, what can I do to begin making things right? Yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. so I'm not going to be able to pay reparations to every African-American mm-hmm. affected by slavery. Yeah. I can't do that personally. But in my life mm-hmm. and in my relationships, who am I going to make the, bear the burden of yeah. these topics? Am I going to make my black friends mm. bear the burden? Mm. Or am I going to bear the burden? And then you've got people that say, I didn't have slaves. My, con- my family wasn't in the country when this was going on. So I think we're also going to be speaking to people that completely disagree with this whole idea. And, our, I, and our, the goal of what we're doing is not to make you see things the way we're seeing it. No. The goal is to make you think. The goal is to give you information, hopefully education from our perspective, and to bring you back to a biblical basis for everything. So naturally, there's going to be some political disagreements and things like that. But what we're talking about is not politics. This should force us to go back if mm-hmm. we disagree. What does God's word say? Yeah. Let me go and do a Google search. What does God's word say? What did it mean then? What is it telling me today? What is what yeah. God's word telling me today in light of what the purpose of his word is. Yeah. I, I, the simple way that I like to sum it up, the Old Testament says, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. That's the entirety of the gospel, too, of what is our life as Christians. Yeah. It's, it's that. And when it comes to reparations, I do believe that this is, this is about justice and mercy and humility, mm-hmm. of being humble enough to say, you know what? I might not get that check, but that doesn't mean that they don't deserve to get a check. Mm. And having that, that mercy that, and grace that says, you know what? I don't see it at all the way you see it, mm-hmm. but I love you. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm going That's to give good. you the space to express your hurts and your feelings and, and all of that because I love you. And, and justice. I mean, centuries of yeah. rape and murder mm. and destruction. And if you disagree with me, I love you. Yeah. But it's like we can't sit there and say there should be no response to that. As, as a nation, we, around the world, we jump up and send yeah. our troops to respond. I look at what we're saying, what we're sending over to Ukraine right now. 
yeah. whether you like Russia or not. Why is America in the middle of it? Because we feel as a country like there might be an injustice going on here. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get in the middle of it with our money and our weapons because we feel there might be an injustice here. What we're saying, there might be an injustice in this whole thing of slavery. Mm. There might be an injustice when it comes to Jim Crow and lynching mm. and, and race terror. There might be an injustice in the civil rights movement and yeah. education even to this day and mass incarceration. There might be an injustice. Mm. And if your response Crickets. isn't like, yeah. well, <laughs> hey, you know. And you look at it like just the other day, Iran, we've got five prisoners. Mm-hmm. You're going to give them billions of dollars, $10 billion to switch prisoners out. Um, because there might be an injustice. Maybe. And we're saying here, there might be. Our heart as Christians should always be, is there injustice there? What would God have me do about that? Mm. Is that somebody who needs mercy? Mm. What does God want me to do about that? Am I too puffed up to be like Christ in the situation? What does God want me to do about that? Mm. And that's, that's what I'm trying to drive at is, you know, we can look at the government, government ought to, government ought to, well, okay, what's our response? Yeah. What am mm. I going to do about it? Mm. And, and that to me is where I think I would want to be after a conversation on this book, after a conversation on these topics with you guys is saying, all right, here's what I think maybe somebody should do or shouldn't do or this, that, or the other, reparations, monuments, et cetera, et cetera. That's not really the issue. That Mm -hmm. can also be a way of distancing myself from the conviction I feel. No, the question is, what am I going to do? Yeah, that's a good thought. How am I going to live this out? One last, last thing. I'm being a very much appreciative. Last, last, last last thing. But I realize the other thing they talk about in this chapter um, is, (laughs) is reunions. Yes. So, Brandon, does your your family have family reunions before they get together? No. Is right. that a white thing or a black thing? Well, I don't think it's. Yes. A, I don't think it's a color thing. It's but, not a color. So everybody around the world does reunions. I think people people mm-hmm. do. Generally. So, but that's why I wanted because I knew like my 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 mom's side they have them. My dad's tried to do a couple of times with his family now. Um, does your family do them too? Yeah. I mean, so one thing he highlights in here is it might be something that's more fought for in black families than white families because of the history of slavery, because of the history of being dispersed. And so this is something very important to us culturally to maintain a connection of we, we made it. Look at us. We didn't all die. Mm-hmm. We didn't go to prison. Mm-hmm. So-and-so's son, look at them. They're off over there working. Like, yeah. So it might be something that's more driven towards. But mm-hmm. I do think that there is a, a, a beautiful thing in having reunions with family getting together. Um, and I think it, it fits with this whole thing because, again, we're constructing history. History happens. That's a fact. But how we recall it is essentially memory, what we've constructed. Memory. And reunions are, you talk about, okay, the black people didn't have the money to build monuments. They built reunions instead. Mm. And, and, and those are, to a large degree, the monuments within black society. Not every black family has them. Mm-hmm. Everybody's gotten a chance to go to them. My wife's been in quite a few with my family. Mm-hmm. She's gotten to see it's, it's different. It's like, yeah, it's it different. different. And we go different places and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but I would say that that, you could argue, is one of the monuments that black America has is we have our family reunions. And that's a monument you might not necessarily get to go and visit. Mm-hmm. Because that's where right. oral history gets yeah. passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. If you didn't have that, you'd never meet great-grandma and never mm-hmm. hear her stories. Going Very. up, I remember with me, it always still turns me out, going up the countries where they always called. I'm like, we are going further south. How are we going up? <laughs> but, but, and, and, and I'll share this one story, and then, and then we can close it out. But um, growing up, we always ate wheat bread. Like, I still eat whole wheat bread. It's mm-hmm. healthier. I'm from California. But it tastes I was, like something. I was I was taught too that it was That's a. What I like you haven't had Wonder Bread. I, but see, I was. It tastes like nothing. In, in my in my it's mom's so family, <laughs> my mom's family, they taught me growing up that white people eat white bread. Mm. I didn't. I didn't. And this isn't actually true. But this is something that I learned. Mm. This is a memory. And I remember hearing a story from one of my great uncles, and he was talking about the first time that he went to the big city, and he got a sandwich, mm. and they made it on white bread. And he said, and I was hungry like five minutes later. 
because it didn't fill me up. These white people with their white bread, they don't even have bread right. <laughs> and, and, uh, that was, and that was one of those that things. Just, racist. Like, like, right? It does. <laughs> but it was one of those things when we talk about, you know, monuments and this, this, right. like, so I, it took me many years to realize, no, it's not just white people that eat white bread, Kamar. Like, <laughs> I mean, I used to think all white people were happy. Like, they're not. <laughs> But based they, on television, but these, these are these are false these are false Except histories. Um, and so, in that sense, too, you could say the reunion is, is just as bad as the monument because there's a monument that's teaching a false history. His his story is true. His interpretation of the history was not true. Right. That was that white person who ate white bread. Mm. All white people don't eat white bread. Mm. I mean, again, I, I learned this. I mean, this is this is the reality of it. Um, but these are sort of things where we do have monuments of a sort in Black society, and one of the biggest ones are the family reunions. Um, yeah. And if if, if you're a black person, your family has them, you've not been, you should go. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't go to all of them because money and time and life, but I do go to enough of them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, actually, our next year is going to be actually in, um, in Gatlinburg. Okay. Is our next one. Nice. And so it's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to go to Gatlinburg for this next one. Um, we've been to D.C. a couple of times, Florida, Alabama, like, I mean, all over the, the country we've wow. been for these reunions. But it still is a time to get together and say, let's rehearse mm-hmm. our stories. Yeah. My mom would sit with her cousin talk about when they had to go up the country and pick cotton and how we ain't never doing that again. Mm. But we and, and hearing the stories and having yeah. that passed on, just like the monuments. So I'm not opposed to all monuments. I'm not. I'm Yay. also not saying that all that black people tell the stories perfectly and we never mess up the stories either. Mm. That's not the case at all. But I do think it is important to realize what he said is that monuments aren't actual history. These memories aren't actual history. This is how we've chosen to craft and mm. tell the history. Um, there are the facts of history and there's the stories we tell about the history and these are our monuments yeah. I'm not going to say anything else because then we'll just start another conversation well, so I, can, you, can you close in prayer then at least I'd Brandon? be glad to yeah. Father thank you for uh, your grace poured out on undeserving sinners um, thank you for your bloodshed uh, instead of ours thank you for the opportunity that we have to talk about these things and to think about these things and to to challenge ourselves, to challenge our cultures. Um, But ultimately, God, we want to glorify you. We want to see Jesus made great, lifted up, and glorious in the sight of all humanity. Uh, We do pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and may this conversation be a small part of it. We thank you for everything you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of any institution, organization, or corporation. The material and information presented here are for general information purposes only. All persons who participated did so of their own free will and speak for themselves only, regardless of any personal affiliations they may possess. Been Pastoring Through Some Hard Times is a production of Salt Light Love Ministries, all rights reserved.